Welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. Join myself, Sorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. Welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. My name is Zorananda. Thank you for joining me today, tuning into this podcast and wanting to learn more about yoga. And today in particular, I am discussing the first kosha in this kosha series, and that is the Anamaya kosha. So Anamaya simply translates to um, food sheath. So more accurately, food illusion sheath. So ana, maya, kosha. So ana means food or physicality, and maya means illusion, and kosha means sheath. And as you can tell by the name, it has to do everything with physicality, particularly your own physicality, your body, and the vehicle that it is that allows you to move about in your world. And so this kosha has everything to do with what makes you who you are as a physical being. And this one is obviously important because it is our direct interface with all the experiences that we have, right? So without the body, we wouldn't have the objective experience that we have in our daily lives. And so it's important to treat it with reverence and to take care of it as best as we can. But we all know that we all have our own vices and we all have our own desires and we are imperfect by nature. And so we tend to make mistakes that are in hindsight always, right? So in the moment, we will be so driven by the excitement of what's happening that we might put ourselves into circumstances and situations where we end up regretting the next day or the next week or sometime later in our life. And it could be something simple as drinking too much alcohol, just getting hammered and being at a party and having a great time, but then you drink too much and you make a fool of yourself. And then the next day you're hungover, you have a massive headache, you're vomiting, you could barely eat or drink. And you say to yourself, I'm never doing that again. But what ends up happening, we do it again. And so then this cyclical patterning and cyclical behavior is a part of being human, a part of our lesson of being um, a physical being that 
we almost can't escape the cyclical nature of our tendencies. And so the knowledge around Anamaya Kosha can shed light on how we approach dealing with our physical vehicle. And in that, the most typical is understanding what we're putting into our body. So that goes with air, water, and food, right? So those are the three main things that are going in and out of our body at all times, right? So we're breathing at all times autonomically, so just automatically, Um, but we can decide to be conscious about our breath. So if that means we take a nice deep inhale and exhale slowly. So in a moment, we can decide to do that, but then when we are performing a task and we are at work and we're doing computer work or we're in a shop somewhere fabricating something or we're in a bakery or what have you in a restaurant when you have these objectives that decision to consciously breathe isn't necessary because the autonomic system is taking care of the need for regular breathing while we focus on something else then the next is water so Obviously, again, we need water, but we don't need to be consuming it all the time. We just need enough throughout a day to stay hydrated. And there's a bit of a debate back and forth from the yoga community to the scientific community to like nutrition and diet, where um, in the mainstream, you'll hear you need to drink um, eight glasses of water or at least I think what is that? Um amount to like um eight glasses like five not maybe under five liters i think that may be even too much maybe like two liters of water a day wherein the yoga community and specifically traditionally in yoga um there isn't an emphasis on needing to drink that much water like even Sadhguru himself says that You only drink water when you're thirsty because there are other things that can provide hydration for you, mainly fruits. So if you just have a healthy um, uh, diet of fruit, then you're going to get that hydration, especially if it's watery fruit like watermelon and... um, uh, citrus, like, uh, oranges and grapefruits and you name it. Right. But regardless of how much water you're drinking, it's still a necessity for this body. It's still one of the three main components, right? Air, food, water. And then you want to look at the quality of your water. Um, luckily where I'm from, um, in, in Edmonton, we have one of the world's best filtration systems for our water. It goes through five steps of filtration, where the last one is a UV light, which kills all the bacteria. And that's not the case for everywhere else, right? There's 
you can look up statistics about the United States and water quality of tap water in the United States. And typically, um, even in major cities, like I've been to New York several times and the water's kind of gross. And um, that's not to say that's everywhere because different states and different uh, municipalities are going to have better systems in place. But um, I think overall, the quality of tap water in, a, in America and even in Canada is pretty low, um, with the exception of Edmonton, just because, you know, they've invested in a really powerful uh, water filtration system. But if you're aware of what the benefits are to drinking spring water and drinking um, certain uh, filtered waters that you know that the water quality um, reflects in where it's coming from, right? So I try my best to avoid drinking water, tap water, even in the city that I'm from, and it's touted as, you know, such clean water. Um, because the actually the like piping underground a lot of the times is really old it's from like decades ago where they're finding um, traces of lead and other metals that are leaching from these old pipes right so when you're looking at how you want to maintain your Anamaya kosha on the level of water, the best thing that you're going to want to do is get spring water. And if you, you got to think of it this way, you're always paying for water, especially if you're in Canada, um, especially if you're in Edmonton, um, you get a water bill and if you're always drinking tap water, it may seem like you're getting it for free because you can just turn on your tap and drink it, but you're paying for the usage of that water. You're actually paying for the system that brings the water to you. And so you just got to think, if you were to stop drinking tap water and only use the water for you know, washing, and, you know, cleaning your dishes, taking a shower, washing your clothes, the amount of money that you spend on tap water um, just kind of transfers over to the water that you would be getting, say, from a store, right? Because for the most part, you're paying for the jug, right? So say if you go to buy some spring water from a grocery store or a local farmer's market, I don't know where, that um, majority of what your cost is, is the jug that you end up reusing anyways. And then the water is a small amount. So say if you have a um, five gallon or 18 liter jug of water, usually the water costs like four to five dollars, but the jug itself costs ten dollars. And I'm, I'm a bit of a ramble here, but I'm trying to get to my main points here. So if you have this belief in your mind that, well, I don't want to go and pay for water, even if it's spring water, when I can just use tap water and it's free. So that's, that's the cognitive dissonance. The tap water isn't free. You are paying for it in some way. 
So if you minimize the amount of water that you're actually using from your tap and you were to get good spring water that you'll even see and taste and notice the difference between the two. Like I um, am fortunate enough to have a kind of aqueduct spring in the city that not many people know about. Um, it's in this park called Gold Bar Park. Um, a cattle farmer over a hundred years ago tapped the spring for his cattle and that neighborhood now um, is where his farmland was but now it's you know part of the neighborhood and it's a park um, and so I would go with a lot of my housemates to fill up then our water jugs and that was the water that we drank um, now I don't do that as much and I'll just go to Earth's General Store and get some spring water from there. And the other place I'll go that's just like west of the city, about an hour, um, maybe hour and 20 minutes out, um, where there's another spring and that's out in the wilderness, right? Like there's no tampering of it. Um, you know, they, they do mobile testing. So they'll have like a big truck that goes and, and tests the water and they'll put up signs that, you know, the water's been tested and it's good. So the, the benefit is that typically in tap water, you have an industrial fluoride in it. And the thing about water is no matter what source you get it from, there's fluoride in it. Even if you go to like a spring, like, and, and I'm saying unfiltered water. So like tap water is filtered and cleaned, but then they add the chlorine and they add the fluoride in it. Um, spring water has a whole bunch of other minerals and it has naturally occurring fluoride. And the difference is that the fluoride in tap water is coming from industrial manufacturing. So it's a, it's a chemical that's um, produced and is considered a waste product. And that is used to put into tap water to help, you know, uh, reform or protect enamel. Like I, I read this whole thing about what fluoride actually does. And there are benefits to it. But the difference is, is that when you would compare like a synthetic fluoride that's coming from industry and naturally occurring fluoride is that the body can actually get rid of the naturally f occurring fluoride. So if there's any excess in the body, so the teeth, um, you know, uses up what it can, but whatever is left over that it can't, instead of just putting it in places in our body to calcify, it's able to eliminate it. But the industrial fluoride, which is typically synthetic, cannot be broken down. And that's where there's all these theories that um, ingesting fluoride can lead to a calcification of the pineal gland. The thing is, on occasion, I drink tap water and I don't find myself dumbing down away from the spiritual practice that I have or the way of being that I desire of a presence of divinity. You know, that's something that I'm still deeply and profoundly seeking towards. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean 
that there aren't these long-term effects, right? And that's usually what they're pointing to is like, well, you know, you don't think that it's affecting you now, but, you know, later down the road when you're 50 or 60 or 70, the calcification has gone to so bad or like so far that um, that's where there's going to be negative effects. So if you're concerned about that, the, your best option is spring water. And think of making the choice to get spring water as an investment into your body because it's literally something that you're taking and you're consuming. And that is money that is going towards a business that is providing the spring water or at least providing the bottles that you then know the quality of water that's going in you is going to have so many more benefits than the tap water. And this then goes into the intelligence of water, right? Um, you know, a good friend of mine, he was explaining to me why spring water is really so much more beneficial than tap water is because of how the, the water flows. So out in nature, the way that water flows is it... Um, based on what he was saying is it maintains it's kind of like crystalline geometry that um, just it, it doesn't flow on angles. It's just like straight flow curves and and kind of circular and round where tap water is going through a lot of piping at right angles and there it there's interruptions in flow right so there's this kind of jaggedness and this roughness to the water that um changes its crystalline um kind of matrices in its molecular structure um and that's that's hard to really try to prove or it's it's kind of hard to to justify but if you were to just think about what it takes to get the water from a reservoir from wherever you're from, if your city has a reservoir or if there's a lake or if there's a river and what it takes to get into the processing plant from the processing plant to all the houses and the amount of energy that it takes to do that, the cost that it takes to do that, and the overall just like effort, right? Where if you look at a spring, there's just constant flow and it almost is at ease, right? There's, there's nothing there really needing to pump it out. There's nothing there that's really needed to manufacture a way for the water to um, come out. It's just fed through and the feeling of also being out in nature being around the trees being around the earth being around the animals you know there's animals that drink from the spring there's um you know all the plants around that are fed um by the water and it's refreshing and it's cold and it especially in, in like the summer when it's hot and you 
come upon a spring. It's just so magical almost, right? And then so just imagine then drinking that water daily and what how what can you imagine within yourself that would change when you have that water in you as opposed to tap water that is chemically treated that has to go through all these steps of filtration that is running through all these old pipes and you know is is coming from an industry that is run mainly by wealthy men who control water right so then there's this all this energy there's all this karma around just getting the tap water right and the regulation of it and the control of it where in nature there's no control of it it's just free it's flowing free there's no person there's no body there's no one that um gatekeeps it or anything right so then when you consider the anamaya kosha in your body and water going for spring water is going to help resonate you towards that sense of freedom right because you're getting unadulterated water and you will naturally feel like you can tune into the intelligence of that water and this is where you know a deeper yoga practice comes into play in meditating with the water and you know putting the water in a glass jar and sitting with it and putting your intentions into it and praying with it and chanting with it, singing to it, doing something that is seemingly unconventional, right? That's, those are things that we're not taught in, in our world. When we're kids, we're just like, oh yeah, there's just water and you just drink it, right? There's no reverence to it. There's no, I sense that it's like this perfect um substance for maintaining our life force it's just it's just water and it comes out of the tap and you can drink it whenever you want right and so when we shift towards a more natural way of obtaining the water and communicating with it and receiving its intelligence we are developing a relationship with it that really becomes profound and then we shift towards food and this one is really important because you are what you eat right and the foods literally convert into our tissues and and so if you've ever known anybody with anorexia or you've had anorexia, you know what happens when you neglect feeding yourself, when you neglect giving yourself the proper nutrition. You, and I, I, I wanna, I don't wanna sound like an asshole, but you literally waste away. And it's sad and it's tragic because there are some people who lose their lives because they are fixated on the image of their body to such a grotesque extent um, 
uh, extent that they just don't eat at all. And so if you were to look at the Anamaya Kosha and how it's tied directly to your physical body and the food that you eat to make the body the way that it is, completely neglecting it and not giving it any food, it makes sense why all of a sudden you would just deteriorate, right? So when you look at then the mainstream way and the scientific and dietary way of understanding what diet you need, you know, we're given the food triangle and, um, you know, the hierarchy of what foods are important over others. So our relationship with food is really similar then with the relationship that we have with water and that we want to look at how we can naturalize our diet and the addiction here is towards processed food and packaged food because of a few categories it's convenient it's easy to make it's easy to buy and it doesn't take up time right because we have shit to do so we don't really want to spend an hour hour and a half two hours making and cooking food so we just want to get a pizza from the store and you know pop it in the oven and there you go convenient hey i have a pizza in my freezer i'm probably going to eat one today or you know in a couple days or something and so we we all want the conveniences right we want to go to a store where we can buy something cheap it's easy it's convenient quick to make understandable right so when you look at what foods that you're putting into your body and the state of your body right most of the time we're very good at ignoring everything we can look ourselves dead in the eye in the mirror and see the problems that we have either it's acne we're overweight um, got bags under our eyes, um, brittle nails, brittle hair, um, you name it, skin spots, skin issues like psoriasis and eczema, and we'll just look right past it and, and be like, well, there's nothing I can do about that and continue living the life that we just are so comfortable living where we go to the grocery store once a week, we get all the same foods and we just do all the same things. And so what yoga purports is to look at the Anamaya Kosha and look at the intake of food and begin to whittle out the things that cause issues right so cause inflammation um, cause allergies cause um, digestive issues um, you name it so whenever there's a negative effect that we want to take those things out um, and some of the biggest ones are overconsumption of dairy 
overconsumption of meat, overconsumption of of wheat and gluten. So keyword overconsumption. So if you're a person that, you know, you'll have some cheese here and there, um, you know, you'll have a steak once a week. Um, uh, you know, you have some pasta. Fine, right? I do the same thing. I do eat meat. You know, I'm very particular about the meat that I eat. I mainly eat bison. I'll have a steak occasionally. And maybe once a month or every couple months, I'll, like, get a burger from, um, like, a reputable place. Like, not, like, um, like, fast food. I stay away from all that stuff, like McDonald's and Wendy's and fuck all that. But uh, I still manage my diet in moderation so the thing is is overconsumption. that's what you want to avoid because the over consuming of anything the body can't handle excess right and that's why we get arthritis and like crazy inflammation and we become super overweight and we have other sorts of health issues heart issues kidney issues and unless you are you have to follow a certain diet like there are people who have to follow a carnivore diet that literally their digestive system can't handle anything else for whatever reason like we typically have a balance of enzymes between the kind of enzymes that break down meat proteins and the kind of enzymes that break down vegetable proteins and fiber and so there are some people where the ratio is so off that they have very, very, very little plant-based enzymes, and they have an abundant source of uh, meat enzymes. And, and so they survive off meat. And for the most part, I do have friends that are on carnivore diets, and they says it's com- it completely changed their life for the better, Right. So, if you're not in that category, what you want to look at is, okay, when I sit down for a meal, so just in a day, what am I having for breakfast if I eat breakfast? What am I having for lunch? What am I having for dinner? And what we, because the kind of rule of thumb that even my teacher um, goes by is, you want to eat things that are easy for the digestive system, right? So you don't want to be eating overly dense things. You don't want to be eating overly processed things where your digestive system struggles to digest what you're eating. And it may not even seem like there's an issue, right? Because there's plenty of people who are so totally tuned out of their bodies that they eat anything and all things. Like they'll just go and get like six donuts and eat all six donuts and drink three coffees and, you know, then go to McDonald's and have two cheeseburgers. And then at lunch, they, you know, get like a McCain pizza or something. Right. And then it's all satisfying to them. That's like that's the tricky thing and like the confusing thing about all this is that you can eat all that garbage food 
and you can enjoy it and you can be like, wow, this is so good. Oh my God. But then you know something is happening. You know that something's not right. You'll wake up at night in sweats and you'll be like, oh man, like, oh, I just feel so bad and I'm just super sweaty and, and you'll just, but then you just shake it off and you go back to bed and you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, I have heartburn. So you take heartburn medication and then you're back to the whole regimen of, you know, drinking coffee all day and not eating breakfast and then eating a shitty lunch and then coming home and eating fast food that looking at the types of foods that are going to be easy on your digestion is going to help you to shift into that more natural sense of a diet, right? So literally eating nature. So fruits and vegetables, animals, because they're part of it too. And, you know, I was vegetarian for six years and I went back to eating meat and it was one of the best decisions I made because of my body type that being a vegetarian wasn't actually supportive of the just the type of body that I had. It kept me very skinny at my height. I'm 6'2", so being 6'2 and 150 pounds, I look gaunt, right? But now, um, you know, from switching to eating meat, I ended up gaining like 25 pounds in a year and going from 160 to like 185 and from working out and doing a lot of training, I dropped down to 170 and now I'm like the best shape in my life and I feel great and I feel super strong. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm not over consuming either. I'm not like eating six meals a day. I'm just having my three meals. You know, I have my breakfast. Sometimes I don't even eat breakfast because I'm not hungry. Or if I do eat breakfast, I'm having um, just like some granola with fruit and almond milk. And then in the afternoon, I'll have like, um, like chili or something. And then in the evening, I'll make my dinner, whatever that is, right? But then I'm, I'm really looking at um, what it is that I'm taking in daily. And that is what's really going to give you a better understanding of what it means to maintain this body. That we, we want to have a balance between the pleasure of eating and the survival of eating right so we're also eating to survive like that's the biggest thing because if you just stop eating you're gonna die eventually right so underlining it all we're always eating to survive okay but we totally put that into our subconscious and into our unconscious that we hyper focus on pleasure so every time we go to eat we're always thinking of wanting to eat the most delicious thing. And that's what can turn into addiction because then we are just so obsessed with like going to certain restaurants because like of how the food tastes and stuff. And, and that's fine to having deliciously made meals. But if that's all you're focusing on, chances are you're going to be eating just garbage food. 
eventually you're going to get to a point where you're only driven by taste and the pleasure of eating that you'll justify eating like some of the worst fucking foods, even though it looks good. And that's what we want to avoid here, that we want to stay on track with natural eating and maintaining the body in a healthy state. And that means going to the grocery store for lunch like I did the other day. I got like an egg salad sandwich and then I was going to go buy some cookies and I was like, no, I'm going to get fruit instead. So I just got like a thing of berries. And it's in those moments that you give so much more service to your body um, than you would otherwise, right? Because I wasn't falling into the, like, pleasure of the taste of the cookies and the sweetness and the sugar. And I was like, I can get that satisfaction from eating fruit and know that the strawberries and the raspberries and the blueberries and the blackberries are going to do so much more for me um, on levels that I'm not even aware of because all I'm focusing on is eating something sweet. So now when you look at all three of those, right? So air, quality of air. uh, And I'm going to come back to that one because I didn't really um, get into uh, some important things. Water, quality of water, quality of food. Now... You have um, the physical activity part of maintaining the uh, Anamaya Kosha. So before I get to that, one of the best things that we can do for ourselves is to get the fuck out of a city and go breathe fresh air. Get out of the city. I know it's... I tell this to so many people, okay? I don't really care where you live or what limitations you have. We all have friends with a car, okay? We all have friends with a car. Most of us work. We all have money, okay? So to think to yourself that you can't get out of the city for even a day and go out in nature is preposterous. I'm sorry to say because... If you have two weeks, even two weeks of something that you spend ten, five to ten dollars on every day, I guarantee it's coffee. I guarantee it's like some shitty like treat or something. Um, so for two weeks, don't spend that money. Save that money. Either if you have a car or not. Go to a friend, be like, hey, let's go out into nature for a day just to breathe fresh air, just to put our phones in our cars and just go on a walk. Please do it. Please do this regularly. Um, I know right now in Edmonton, it's fucking winter outside and it's cold, it's super snowy. So obviously the best time is to do that in the summer. And that's what I love doing. Like one of my favorite things is I'll drive an hour and a half north um, to this place called Tawatna Valley and there are just like amazing wild blueberry fields everywhere so I'll just spend four or five hours picking wild blueberries and chances are 
you have stuff like that around you too and it just takes a little bit of research or it just takes some exploration you know like there are trails and there are natural parks and national parks and provincial parks and state parks everywhere you have access to these places like that's why they're there and preserved is for you to go and be in it so instead of being fixed in this routine of oh the weekend's coming i've got to go out and i've got to like go and party and i gotta go drink and i gotta go do this and i gotta go do that just like take one weekend where you just don't do that bullshit you don't spend all that money on fucking shitty things and you just go out in nature and you just breathe fresh air give your lungs that break of being in a dirty city, being in a smoggy city or whatever, right? Just please do your body that service. And you'll see how beautiful the world is because that's really what we're missing in this day and age with like all the like hyper like sensualized media and social media that we're just like bombarded with so much shit all the time, all the time. It's like the world is ending because of greenhouse gases and global warming and climate crisis and Russia is going to nuke Ukraine and all this shit and United States and Biden and whatever, right? We're just bombarded with bullshit and bullshit and bullshit. Just leave the fucking city, go out in nature, breathe fresh air. If you can find a spring, bonus. Bring some good food. There you have it. You have the three main components of a healthy, maintaining a healthy Anamayakosha, where you get fresh air, you have fresh, clean water, and you have fresh, clean food, and just enjoy being a human being out there away from all the bullshit for even a day and you'll see how much it recharges you how much it rejuvenates you and so then when you do come back to your life you're less stressed you're less on edge you're less stimulated and you're more balanced and you're more clear so then when it comes to the tasks that you have at work or at home or whatever wherever you can handle it better because you've self-regulated and what you've regulated with going out and breathing that fresh air drinking that clean water eating that fresh food is you've regulated your hormones you've regulated your endocrine system your nervous system your circulatory system and it just does so many benefits and that can happen from one day like that's not bullshit like there's so many resources and there's so many studies of saying what going out in nature does that's why people are obsessed with it like why do you think people just love every day going on hikes like there are literally people who when the summer comes they'll take like 10 days off work to just like go out in nature and be out there the whole time right so all of that works towards the next kosha, the pranamaya kosha. And this has to do with the energetics of everything. So we went into the three main components of maintaining the physical body, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat. And those all feed into 
the pranic body. And the way, so how I'm going to end this here is the important yogic part in really harmonizing all those three components is your yoga practice. So breathing techniques for um, the air, right? So how we bring in air in and out of our body. So doing techniques like Kapalabhati or Bastrika or Analoma Viloma. And then Ayurveda goes into the water and the food, right? So what we're doing to really look at the balance of everything, of all the different foods that we eat. And then the asana practice is then the physical fitness part of maintaining the body. So I'll leave it at that. I hope I hope that's all helpful. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really just doing my best to put this kind of information out there so that you can feel inspired to make changes in your life that are manageable, right? Because I understand that taking on a yoga practice can be actually quite intimidated. There's a lot out there. And there are people who are fantastic yogis, and they're very committed. And when you see the things that they can do, it looks really hard. And it looks like you need to change everything about yourself in order to do the things that some of these yogis are doing, right? And that's not the case at all, because there are surely millions of yogis who are just regular regular people like they're not instagram famous or anything they're not influencers they're just regular people and they do yoga regularly and they live a happy and a healthy life and so what i want to navigate is how i can get people interested in adding yoga into their life one step at a time comfortably and man and manage it in a holistic way where it's not a burden right so i'm not expecting anyone to suddenly need to practice every single day two hours a day you need to be chanting mantras you need to be meditating all the time like no man we all live busy fucking lives like i have a full-time job i you know work seven to three thirty and then i have a dog so i have to take care of him and I have all my other projects. I'm writing a book. I'm writing music and recording music. I have this podcast. And so my time for yoga are in key moments that are manageable for me. So like early, early in the morning when I wake up, I do like a 15-minute practice just to like get into my body, wake myself up, do some breathing techniques, do some stretches, meditate a little bit. And then I have my like once to twice a week where I go into a studio and I do a really hard, really intense practice. And that's helping me get back into um, the kind of practice that I had in the past because um, how I practiced five years ago is not how I practice today. And I'm shifting back into that in a safer way just because I had some silly injuries from doing yoga postures that really shouldn't have been doing to the extent that I was doing. So remember 
yoga is an addition. It's not meant to take you out of the life you live. You don't have to be this person where suddenly you need to get a yoga teacher training and you need to travel the world and you need to, you know, spread yoga. It's not a religion, okay? We're, this isn't about being a missionary. It's an addition and it has a set of tools. And those tools help you understand how to live a more healthy life, right? And so looking at the koshas, the information of the koshas is one tool in the toolkit of yoga. And I'm doing my best to try to iterate it and um, elaborate on it in a way where it can make sense so that when you do go to the grocery store next, you look at your shopping cart and you go, you know what? What are some of the things that I can actually take out of my shopping cart and I can replace them with healthier things, right? That's just, that can be step one. That can be your yoga is how do I slightly change my diet? So if I just bought like two apple pies, maybe I'll put one apple pie back and I'll buy oats and apples and I'll make like my own kind of apple pie dish, right? And those are super simple and easy to make, like a kind of apple crumble, apple pie crumble, right? And it's delicious. And you make it yourself, and it's so much more satisfying than just, like, gorging yourself on this whole apple pie that, you know, who knows what kind of ingredients are in it. But I digress. Thank you for listening and tuning in. You can find my book find my music and find my meditations on my website www.zoranunda.com so that's spelled z-o-r-a-n-a-n-d-a dot com um i have three versions of my book on there there's a um hardcover which is the most expensive the paperback which is like the medium expensive and uh an ebook which is you know, five bucks. That's what I recommend. Um, you know, get it cheap, get it affordably. Um, I just want to get people reading it and getting it out there just because of how helpful it can be to, um, look at how to approach meditation and you can purchase my music if you want. Otherwise you can just go onto Spotify, look me up on there, Zoranunda and I have three albums. My most recent one, Opening, is the one that I really love the most. Um, I did that album with my good friend Marin, who's my violin teacher. So we did um, acoustic guitar, violin, and my producer John did orchestral accompaniment for a few of the songs as well. So with that, have a wonderful rest of your day and enjoy. Thank you.